a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set ablaze with all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Go. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Holmes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call... Two two four nine one one one. I'm joined by the peripatetic Chris Ryan. Back and forth. Better be peripatetic than paraplegic. He's peripatetic, and he travels back and forth to Boston, where he gains access to the exalted world of Fenway Park during the World Series. He's able to post pictures of his kids dressed in Red Sox regalia, enjoying the success of our famous Red Sox. Go, go, Sox. Go Sox. So how's it been down there? It's been pretty, great. Pretty exciting. It's a special team. It's uh it's been it's such a fun group um you know to be around and having done this for for many years to see, you know, Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Xander Bogarts and all these guys come up through the system and now you know experiencing the ultimate success after having some failure. It's a fun it's a fun time. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, everybody's talking about uh, f- freshman rookie manager uh, Alex Cora mm-hmm. and what what a job he's done with the team. I mean, they all seem like a, a bunch of happy happy people. Yeah, Alex is a very um, confident individual. He's a very accessible individual, and he knows how to communicate well with people, which is all you know really important in being a, a manager. He'll criticize himself, and he'll say when he's made mistakes. Um, there haven't been many. Uh, he's made a lot of, uh, of good moves, uh, namely in you know, Game One of the World Series, you know, pinch hitting Eduardo Nunez for Rafael Devers, oh, and then Nunez hits was, the three run home was, run. That was really exciting, right? And so um, he's he's touched the you know the right buttons throughout the course uh, of this year, and um, yeah, he's a he's a special person. It's pretty rare to see an individual in any role kind of step in in their first year and exude the type of confidence to be able to criticize themselves and say, hey, the manager fell asleep on that one. He said that a couple times you know, this year. And when he criticizes himself, it makes everybody else feel a little bit more comfortable as well. That, hey, we all make uh, mistakes. And generally, you only see that from guys like, you know, Greg Popovich, uh, Bill Belichick, guys who are so comfortable and confident in their jobs and their positions because of the championships they've won. Here's Alex's first year, and he's um, you know already extremely confident in his decision making to the point of which that you'll point out when you make mistakes. You know, but it it's and and it's not just in baseball or in sports. It's a quality of leadership that is really important, no matter what organization. A person is in, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, in sports or, let's say, in politics, mm-hmm. the ability to have a, a good sense of self, but one which uh, is enough of a sense of self to 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 lead by example and say, yeah, I'm I'm human. I made a mistake. I'm capable of learning from it. And uh, we can go on from there. Yeah, I talked with Ron Renneke, who's 
um, Alex's bench coach and uh, former major league manager with the Milwaukee Brewers, and also Dave Dombrowski, who's the president of baseball operations, who hired Alex. And that type of honesty creates an environment where individuals are more honest with each other, he said, uh, both of them feel. And if you say, um, if Alex says that he did something wrong or, you know, it acknowledges a mistake, then other individuals will be honest, you know, if they have injuries or if, um, you know, they're not feeling right a, a particular day. And it creates, a, as you're referencing, kind of an environment where everyone is honest with another instead of trying to um, put on fronts. And it creates, again, that communication and, and a communication with, with everyone. Hey, we make mistakes. We're human beings. Um, and you were all in this together where, uh, if you have the opposite and everyone's, you know, putting on fronts and being tough and, um, not really communicating with one another, the opposite occurs. And I feel in politics, it's the same way when you have a, an individual who is like a John McCain and uh, will come out and say, I screwed up today and this is how I did it. And, or I, you know, like when he came here to New Hampshire and the campaign, uh, didn't have any money in uh, July of 2007. He decided to move forward. He's like, yeah, of course, we. I'm the leader of this. It's my fault that we uh, that we don't have any money, um, and I'm going to make things better. It's my campaign. Um, those types of things you know, make people want to run through the wall for you when you're honest as the leader. When you're dishonest as the leader, it promotes dishonesty amongst everybody else. If it's really? okay for the leader to do it, then everybody else is going to do it. And there's you know backstabbing and infighting. And um, I feel that that's a big part of a team is to you'll be, um, you know, uh, to be honest and uh, also accountable to everybody else. And if your leader does that and they're accountable, then you have to be accountable. Honesty, accountability, integrity, leadership, working together. Alex Cora for president. Alex Cora for president. Because these are I mean, these are concepts which. Um, in too much of our political life are not only missing, but but glaringly, dangerously absent. And that's what frustrates people so much with the political process is that you know, they see in sports, in their own lives, in business, um, in nonprofits, they see this working together, this accountability, this teamwork, and they're like, you know, political figures are supposed to be kind of the the benchmark for what we're supposed to be. Um, these are supposed to be our brightest leaders. These are supposed to be the individuals that the public has pushed forth, um, you know, to do the work of their constituents. And they're falling short. And, um, again, there's, there's a completely different – it seems like whatever you can get away with and still get away with it is the, the kind of the hallmark of politics at this point in time. Where in other aspects of society, there is a more of a public and personal accountability. So help me figure this out. Here's I'm, let me just I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. So if we agree that irrespective of political leaning, whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Green Party, an independent, whatever you are in your personal life, generally in your work life, in your business life, in your family life, the qualities, the core qualities of honesty, integrity, transparency, um, uh, working together, figuring out how to work with other people whose opinions are different, um, and, and issues around character and personality are really paramount. I mean, it's what you're taught in school. It's what your parents teach you. 
it, it, every day in your business life, you want to work together with people who are open and honest, um, uh, who value working with other people in productive ways, who look for strengths, who don't engage in blame and name calling. Because if you're work in a work environment, that that's the kind of thing where you get office backbiting, mm-hmm. you get you get organizations that fall apart you get a bad you get you, it's just a bad it's a bad environment mm-hmm. um you know i mean if you were in a work environment and and your boss was calling people names all the time and being rude um and dishonest and lying you'd you you i mean you'd say this is a harassing work environment mm-hmm. i can't work here i, I got to leave so if if people irrespective of political party um, believe that those kinds of issues of character, morality and honesty, um, and the ability to build a team and work together are important. How is it that so many people got bamboozled um, by Donald Trump? How is it? Because I the other I was looking uh, on TV the other day. Um, I've, one of the one of the stations. It, it was either CNN or, or MSNBC. So that full disclosure it was one of them. Yeah. Had a group of six. I think it was six um, Republicans, all of whom who had voted for Donald Trump. Um, on uh, you know it was like a revisiting a focus group that the these the stations do with people in around elections. It was a focus group, and all of the six people. Uh, in this focus group who had voted for Donald Trump were now going to vote straight Democratic. They had given money to Democrats for the first time. They were working for Democrats. They were making phone calls. They were writing letters. They were canvassing. They had gotten involved in politics for the first time, they said, uh, some of them who had never been involved. But they had all been bamboozled. How How? How does that ha- how did that happen? How how is there a disconnect of that magnitude in politics? Cuz Donald Trump is not the um the problem. The problem is politics as a whole. What he is is an individual who is able to acknowledge and understand the deep amount of discontent and frustration that existed with the political system and um criticize it and focus on it and capitalize off of it by providing something that uh, appeared to be different and stronger and was going to um, represent the the values of uh, you know rural America and um, you know as I've said many times before Donald Trump is not the uh, the, the the horse he is the cart and he's riding in that cart like uh, King Henry the eighth and he is and he's whipping that horse but um, the fact of the matter is that individuals view the political system and politicians as a whole so poorly that um, it was kind of a mentality of, okay, let's try this because it couldn't be much worse than um, the current situation. He's not any worse than Hillary Clinton. We already have a preset opinion about her and Bill Clinton. Um, so why not go with that? He seems, you know, he seems to know what he's doing. He seems to be uh, a successful uh, businessman. Um, he has a strength about him. Uh, we're tired of America apologizing and being um, not uh, you know, f- uh, at the forefront of, um, of the conversation. And we're going to change that. So what – you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm – again, I'm thinking out loud about this. You know, you have the Obama years 
where uh, Obama comes into office inheriting a financial collapse that was not caused by Obama or Democrats. The financial collapse of 2007-8 can easily be traced to policies of the Bush administration. And, and that's whether Republican or Democrat, whatever he was, those policies produced um, a Wall Street that ran amok in certain areas and caused uh, tremendous havoc in our financial system. So Obama and the Democrats came in and had to fix, fix that, spent a lot of political capital um, trying to put, uh, give uh, access to affordable health care to more people to, uh, to help people. And, and there was a perception that Obama wasn't, uh, I guess, strong enough for America. Never mind that he, he, you know, he ordered the raids that got Osama bin Laden. Uh, never mind that uh, he uh, tried to extricate us from Iraq. Um, so, so factually, it's really difficult for me to assess the nature of that discontent by the time the 2016 uh, election arrives. What's now, a campaign about? A campaign, in my view, is about discussing all the things that are wrong and all the things that are bad you think and, that you think and that trying to focus so, on, on solutions. So, so wait, both wait sides were focused. Fear, fear, so fear and negativity uh, are the emotions that are stronger than hope and and history and yeah and all of and uh, I mean Hillary Clinton I mean even hope and solutions solutions are because of problems so you know instead of you know Hillary Clinton going out and talking about well, how everything was great um, she talked about problems and so she is adding to the narrative that there's problems in this country and all if you're all you're focusing on is problems then you can easily revel in um, a reality that doesn't really exist I mean America has its problems there's no question about it but we have you know such prosperity that we have all this you know free their time first, and their first their their first world problems or other problems of our making right so you know if you Hillary Clinton or whomever spends all their time because people who are who want to vote and are um, you know ramped up about that they have problems too so they're coming out and talking about their problems they need more money they need this they need that so there's an entire campaign that's built on on problems and you know Donald Trump is making talking about problems and things being worse than they actually are so we are constantly feeding in this trough of of negativity when as you referenced the problems that we have are you know first world problems i mean there's obviously a lot of individuals who are struggling but the fact of the matter is that there are always going to be individuals who are struggling in one way um or another, we have to obviously work towards trying to make a a, a better life for for everyone and provide those opportunities. But um, as a whole, our nation is 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 pretty strong, and the lives of individuals are pretty rich. Um, and you know, I think that one of the problems is that if you play the the negative game, you're going to end up you know, feeding on who is the most well, negative and can, can well, conjure up the except, most fear. Well, you know, I, I don't buy all of that, and I'll tell you why. I think. Good, because I was just talking. Yeah, I mean, you're just talking <laughs> through, through your hat. Um, 
you know, of course, except for the rest of the world, we'd say, you know. Um, all Red Sox hat, no cattle. All Red Sox hat, no cattle. But um, uh, we have a representative democracy, which um, we, you know, I see under assault these days from an authoritarian figure who is sowing fear and distrust and negativity filled with blame and finger pointing and name calling and infantile uh, narcissistic behavior. So uh, we have a problem. We have a problem at the top. Uh, in general, uh, there is a serious problem of inequity uh, and gr- that has been and growing f- uh, economic inequality in the country that um, has be- been really bad news for those at the very bottom, those trying to get into the middle class and the middle class um, uh, falling backwards continually while the very, very top have been doing wonderfully well. Um, they now with the current uh, uh, regime in place, those at the very top uh, are doing even better with a tax cut that is basically robbed money from the middle and the uh, lower end and uh, tilted it even further towards the top. Now there's talk of getting rid of some of the important programs, the basic programs that have been taken for granted that help people like Social Security and Medicare, that's the latest ploy. But putting all that aside, uh, when we look out at the main street of Concord, New Hampshire, which has been recently renovated, um, where uh, the schools uh, have been safe so far, where the streets are safe, where people generally respect law enforcement and the police, where our institutions, um, such as our schools, our churches, um, our state capital, while contentious, uh, are relatively strong. Concord, New Hampshire is an example for a lot of people of the way America ought to be. We have a, a vibrant uh, city council where you can talk to your city councilors and local issues get thrashed out. Uh, the media, you and me and those in the media, are uh, you know, are pretty open and honest about what they think and what, what their positions are, reporting facts or opinions and being clear. For example, I'm very clear that a lot of what I talk about on this show uh, are, are, are facts, but also my opinions, and I try to be very, very clear about that. But um, Donald Trump ran on negativity. He's continuing to push negativity. Um, and I just don't get why and how people respond to that. Why, how they think that what the lies he peddles uh, are viable. Why that's still selling to maybe 37, 40% of this country and why his approval ratings have now gone up to apparently 47%. I don't get it. So folks, if any of you have any ideas for me and can help me understand why anybody could still be supporting Donald Trump, feel free to drop a line to the, to the station at some point and let me know. This is Paul Hodes on Off the Record with WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet. We're at nhtalkradio.com. You can find our live stream there and archives of previous shows. Join my dozens of fans in binge-listening heaven nhtalkradio.com. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life with the Birches. Call 224-9111. Don't go away. We're going to be back with stellar attorney Bill Christie from Shaheen and Gordon, who was a lead counsel 
uh, on the case of SB3, the voting suppression bill. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we are archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling... Two two four nine one one one. I'm very pleased to be joined in this segment by Bill Christie, my former colleague, my current colleague, actually, at Shaheen and Gordon. I'm of counsel at the firm. Bill uh, is head of the litigation department um, at Shaheen and Gordon, a really terrific guy, a terrific lawyer, walking around on a bum ankle, but he's joining us. And we're going to talk about SB3, what it is, why it was, how it came about, and the recent ruling in the New Hampshire Superior Court that has put a stop to the provisions of SB3. Bill, welcome to Off the Record. Thank you for having me. So tell us first, what, what, was, what is SB3? Uh, how did it come about? And uh, what is it, what, what's it supposed to do? So what SB3 was was a bill passed by the legislature in uh, last year, which changed the process by which people register to vote in this state. Um, uh, What we used to have in New Hampshire um, prior to the enactment of this law, and what we will now have because of the court's order, is a relatively straightforward process where someone comes in to register to vote, And if they don't have certain documentation with them, they would sign an affidavit attesting to who they were, and uh, they would be permitted to register to vote. SB3 created this lengthy, multi-page form that the evidence at our trial uh, said you needed a Ph.D.-level education to understand that you had to come back with documents uh, to register to vote if you didn't have them on, on Election Day. And ultimately would have made the process of voting and registering the vote much more difficult, lengthening lines and inc- putting increased burdens on people trying to register to vote in this so, state. So let me just, I don't mean to interrupt, but let me just expand briefly on that because um, I've, I've, I've looked at uh, the, the court order and the court order which put a halt to the onerous provisions of SB3 um, recited some of the differences um, uh, that you have just discussed. And what is so striking to me in looking at it is that the old, uh, the old affidavit, the old way of, of uh, swearing under oath that you were eligible to vote was really short. I mean, it was really, it was simple. It says, if this form is used in place of proof of identity, age, citizenship, or domicile, i.e., if I don't have my proof with me, I hereby swear that such information is true and accurate to the best of my knowledge. Um, 
and then uh, there were the categories about which you were going to attest, identity, citizenship, age, domicile. So you could say, yes, I am who I am. I'm a citizen of the country I'm a citizen of. Here's my age, and here's my domicile. And that was it. You'd sign the affidavit, and you'd get to vote because folks remember that New Hampshire Uh, One of the important features of our electoral process has always been that you could have same-day registration, um, and all of that seemed to work pretty seamlessly, and except for the craziness peddled by Governor Sununu and Donald Trump, there really has been no significant voter fraud in New Hampshire ever. Okay, folks, no significant voter fraud in New Hampshire ever. It was never a problem. When the legislature passed SB3, Bill said you had to have a Ph.D. to read it. I have to tell you, folks, I read it, and I'm not going to go through it on the air because it would take up all the time I have, but I had to read it not once, not twice, but three times to try to figure out what, if I was going to file such a thing, I would have to do in order basically to avoid um, to avoid criminal penalties and to try to get to vote. It 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 goes on for like for for two pages. I mean, it's it was craziness. Yeah. And what it was intended to do was two things. Um, uh, One was lengthen lines on Election Day uh, and lengthen lines on Election Day in the communities where people rely on same day registration. What are those communities? Well, they happen to be communities uh, like Durham and Hanover and Plymouth and Keene. And what do they have in common? They're college towns. It was meant to suppress the college vote. It also, uh, we had evidence at trial would adversely impact communities like Manchester and Nashua, communities where, where, which have wards where if you move from one ward to another, you have to register to vote again. What do those communities tend to vote? They tend to vote Democratic. Uh, so it was a bill intended to suppress the Democratic vote in this state, to suppress the vote of college students, to suppress the vote of young people, and suppress the vote of people who tend to move around a lot. So let's not, you know, I'm not going to, as they say, pussyfoot around the political issue here. This bill was sponsored on strict party lines. Right. Correct. And it was and and it was uh, Republicans who sponsored it. Correct. And it was the product of a national effort, essentially, um, by Republican interest groups and right wing um, radical conservative interest groups to suppress voting all over the country in a variety of ways. But this was um, a uniquely New Hampshire uh, version of voter suppression. Yeah, I mean, this is not an isolated issue. Since uh, the 2008 election, um, when President Obama was elected, uh, Republican legislatures have been across the country been taking a variety of action to make it more difficult to vote. The inference being they, they think if more people get to vote, the less likely Republicans will win. And it's not just here in Wisconsin in the last presidential election, something like 150,000 people or who had voted in previous elections were no longer eligible to vote because of their 
uh, new onerous voter ID laws, and it was the first time a Republican won Wisconsin in the presidential election since the mid-1980s. There, there's there's the, the evidence there is clear. So that came to New Hampshire after uh, Sununu was elected and the New Hampshire legislature was elected. Uh, there were public statements that uh, Trump was angry that he had uh, lost the um, New Hampshire electoral votes. There were complaints that Kelly Ayotte lost the Senate race. Uh, and the complaints were the college kids are electing Democrats. And so uh, this law was intended, without a doubt, to um, suppress th that vote. And you'll also famously remember uh, or remember famously or infamously uh, uh, our current Governor Sununu's um, comments during the uh, 2016 election that we were that the Democrats were busing in busloads of people from Massachusetts to vote here illegally. Busloads is what he said. And it's important uh, and actually an evidence at trial that allegation, uh, which has been made more than once, has actually been investigated by the Attorney General's office. And they have investigators at the Attorney General's office who take these allegations very seriously, and they have concluded there is absolutely no evidence that that has ever happened in the state of New Hampshire, ever. Uh, and so this is, you know, the, the Attorney General who is defending the law and is defending the law uh, based upon allegations of voter fraud, their witnesses are admitting in open court there's no evidence of voter fraud in this state. So when the, just as a bit of background here, when the legislature passed this bill, uh, the governor, Governor Sununu, who had promised on video to a student, um, uh, ended up uh, seeking an opinion, as I recall. From Different bill. Different bill. That's 12, HB 1264, which does not come into effect next year, which is another voter suppression. This one wasn't good enough. Oh, I see. And so, Wait uh, a second. Please straighten me yes. out. So uh, this, in this session, uh, they, uh, the, re the legislature uh, passed HB 1264, which uh, clouds the uh, difference between domicile uh, and resident in this state. And the impact of the bill is an attempt to basically make it a requirement to get a driver's license or register your car if you vote, uh, if you register to vote in New Hampshire. The governor had promised young people earlier in the year or late last year that he would not sign such a bill. Uh, but uh, politics, I guess, being what it is, or uh, the governor did in fact sign such a bill over the summer. That bill is not yet in effect and will not impact November's election. Okay, so we'll go back to SB3. Uh, after it was passed, a number of plaintiffs joined together to file uh, the lawsuit that um, uh, was recently uh, the subject of the preliminary injunction. Yes. Who were the who were the who brought this action? So there were two basically groups of plaintiffs. One was the New Hampshire Democratic Party, uh, which I represented. Uh, the other group was the League of Women Voters uh, and several individual plaintiffs who were college students and other uh, individuals who um, uh, were adversely impacted by the law. They were represented by a law firm uh, out of Washington, D.C. And the League of Women Voters is, of course, a nonpartisan organization. Exactly. Uh, they, they are not Democrats or Republicans. The League of Women Voters is, is uh, famously nonpartisan and brought 
uh, the lawsuit which uh, resulted in this order. So, Bill, let's take a, a break right now. Uh, we'll come back uh, after a, a, a short message. This is Paul Hodes. I'm with Bill Christie, attorney Bill Christie from Shaheen and Gordon, represented the Democratic Party uh, in battling against SB3. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll be back after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived for your binge-listening pleasure at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Our guest today is Bill Christie, attorney Bill Christie of Shaheen and Gordon, uh, who represented the state Democratic Party in a lawsuit to stop implementation of SB3. Uh, Judge uh, Brown of the New Hampshire Superior Court recently issued an injunction uh, to uh, stop implementation of SB3. Uh, and we're talking about the, the, the reasons why the suit was brought, what SB3 uh, would have done. And now, I'd, uh, Bill, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, this very interesting and complete opinion uh, by uh, the judge. He really went into um, uh, uh, very deep detail uh, about uh, the bill, um, the case, uh, and the precedent um, that uh, the plaintiffs argued uh, rendered uh, this bill unconstitutional. Uh, it must have been a complex hearing. So the hearing took place uh, over the course of two weeks in late August and um, early September. Uh, we put on um, something around 15, 16 witnesses, um, including witnesses, several expert witnesses who offered very compelling testimony about uh, the fact that there is no measurable um, evidence of voter fraud in this state, um, the, uh, who, what groups of people the law would a adversely impact, and um, the, um, how it would lengthen lines on Election Day, especially in places, like, in places like Durham. We also had witnesses testify, real New Hampshire citizens, um, people, uh, college students, uh, political activists who uh, testified about the neg uh, negative and adverse and burdensome impact of this law. Now, when uh, a preliminary injunction is sought, um, that's a pretty serious um, uh, judicial remedy. Um, the court has to find that an injunction, which is an order stopping something from happening or in some cases ordering that something happens, um, is necessary because there is no 
other adequate remedy at law. In other words, nothing else but issuing an injunction will 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 solve the problem that the plaintiffs raised. That's that's a very high bar, and the court also has to find um, after a hearing that. Um, there is a likelihood of success on the merits. So, so there. Ha- so, in order for an injunction to issue, a uh, very high bar, which is um, likelihood that you're going to succeed when you have a full hearing, and that there's no other way to prevent the harm uh, that is complained of. And in the case of dealing with a voter voting uh, statute, um, uh, the standard that the court applies is that. Uh, as the as the judge said, the righteousness of the court's inquiry into the propriety of a state election law depends upon the extent to which a challenged regulation burdens the fundamental right to vote, the fundamental right to vote. So um, it this is a pretty rare kind of uh, litigation. This is a it, the standards are very very high when you're seeking an injunction to stop a law that has been passed by the legislature. Yeah, uh, laws passed by the legislature are presumed to be constitutional, um, and the reason for that is so you know every law that gets passed, people aren't running off to to, to challenge. So it is a high bar, and in, in the election law process, you have to demonstrate that individual voters or groups of voters will be burdened uh, by the law. And it's a bit of an oversimplification, but for our audience, basically the law is the higher the burden, the greater the justification the state needs to come forward to justify the burden. And in this case, the court found that the burden was uh, fairly high and that the justifications put forth for the state, which was basically voter fraud and uh, the efficient administration of elections didn't justify the burden. And the court also said that the the law, the forms, and these complicated forms don't even accomplish what the state claims they're intended to accomplish, which was to stop voter fraud. And the court found that all these forms will do or would do was make it harder for legitimate voters to register to vote. And in fact, what the judge said, uh, SB3 forms are drafted in a manner that makes them confusing, hard to navigate and comply with, and difficult to complete in a timely manner. Uh, The court went on to cite um, testimony by uh, college students as well as experts about the complexity, vagueness, um, uh, of the of the what the forms would do, it made it nearly impossible for college students to comply. And experts testified about the readability um, of the language using um, basically scientific analysis of the way uh, this statute was misdrafted. Yeah, uh, and and we owe a great deal of thanks to our colleagues uh, who represented the league on, on putting together a lot of that, a lot of that expert evidence. Um, but it was amazing. Um, uh, the, uh, the expert evidence on the, on the readability of the forms. Um, and, and there were issues during the trial where, you know, you have lawyers who have been immersed in these forms for over a year because of the litigation and witnesses who are expert witnesses on the forms. And in real time during the trial, they would become confused about what the language was in the form or which form am I using now or uh, which box uh, applies in this situation. 
And it was self-evident, I think, through that testimony, which the judge observed in, in person, that anyone standing in line on election day, whether you're a college student or an elderly person or a, a person that English is a second language or a disabled person, um, that trying to interpret these forms on election day in real time would be nothing sort of disaster, nothing short of disastrous. And the court also found that, uh, and including based on expert testimony, that the, the, the law, SB3, will result in potentially significant increases in waiting times at polling places throughout the state, particularly those with larger turnout. So, folks, just imagine that you're in a hotly contested election like we could be having here in 2018 in the state of New Hampshire. And for those of you who stood in line, imagine that there's an exponential increase in the length of those lines and you're out there for hours at a time waiting for people to complete forms that nobody can understand or read. Uh, the judge found that that uh, created an undue burden on uh, uh, the, the, the right to vote, that it would suppress the vote. And then the judge also went into issues of disparate treatment. What was that about? So th there were a variety of issues um, that that impacts. One is polling places, that this law would have significant impact on certain polling places. Uh, and I've gone through them earlier on um, in the interview, Durham, Keene, uh, Hanover, Manchester. Uh, those are polling. So certain polling places would have to deal with this problem to a much greater significance than you know, a smaller town where maybe you have five or ten people who register to vote on, on, on that day. It also impacted young people, Democrats, uh, people of a lower socioeconomic class as well. Well, the end result of all this, the temporary injunction, is that we're going to be back using the affidavit from 2016, which is a much simpler form. So, folks, if you're thinking about voting have no fear. Go vote. If you, if you need to file an affidavit, it's going to be simple. SB3 uh, will not, the, 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 well, the provisions will not be applied. There was a previous order stopping a preliminary injunction on the criminal penalties. So you're in luck. Thank goodness Bill and other good lawyers and our judicial system have done the right thing. SB3 is stopped for now pending um, a final hearing. Bill, thank you for your work on this. Thank you for setting me straight. Uh, and thank you for your clear explanations for uh, our listening audience. We've been talking with Bill Christie, uh, litigation counsel at Shaheen and Gordon, who represented the uh, New Hampshire Democratic Party in a successful suit to stop SB3. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back to wrap up this week's edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes after this. We're back. It's Paul Hodes on WKXL. We're off the record. 
at nhtalkradio.com, streaming live, archived for your binge listening pleasure, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, Chris Ryan and I thought out loud about the state of politics and leadership uh, in this country and why somebody like Donald Trump still garners any support at all. It's an open question. I'm happy to hear from people about what it is that attracts people to Donald Trump because I can't figure it out. And we had a great conversation with Bill Christie, who's a really smart guy, a tough lawyer from Shaheen and Gordon, who helped achieve an injunction on SB3, the voter suppression bill. Uh, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches of Concord. Thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in again next week for more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM.